2: It's Straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a game to forget but a finish to remember at Selhurst Park, Ziyech proves his worth but it's another difficult outing for Lukaku. We preview the return of the Champions League to Stamford Bridge and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we go again, then another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. Hope you're well, listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by the Athletics' Liam Toomey.
3: Turns out it wasn't just Simon jet-lagged from Abu Dhabi. Hello. (laughs) No, I think everybody was, weren't they?
2: Uh, also with us, fresh off his triumph in the InterTotally quiz on the Totally Football Show, uh, which you'll be able to hear later today. It's Dom Fyfe. I've just kind of spoiled it for you, spoiled the result for the listener there, Dom, but I was just so pleased for you because it was it was not just a win, it was an absolute whooping.
1: <laughs> you get all the credit, Matt, for, for putting me through the, my paces on a Thursday quiz. Um, usually losing to Sam so thank you so much
2: <laughs> yeah no, backing in the next round as well until you and I you know should we come head to head in which case it's, it's war well,
1: you've got to get rid of Michael Cox to do that though haven't you let's be honest mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah, that's what everybody's looking at uh, you can listen to that by the way it'll be out later today and do, uh, do check out how Dom and I get on in the quiz won't take you very long to see how I get on uh, right first up today we're going to reflect on Chelsea's late show at the Palace
1: Alonso Seconds to go. Well he's had one disallowed. I think this one will stand and he'll score for the third league game in a row.
0: We lack a bit rhythm and we lack a bit fluidity in our match, in our in our game, and uh, we, we struggle a bit to, to create a lot of chances and, and, and dangerous attacks. But at least we're trying and we're not giving in and, and, and we're fighting for that one for that one decisive goal, we're fighting for that one decisive chance and I'm I'm happy that we made it with a bit of luck, very late, but not undeserved I would say.
2: Crystal Palace nil, Chelsea won then the Blues, pinching the points in a truly dreadful game of football, courtesy of Hakim Ziyech's last-minute winner. Both Liam and Dom were on hand for the Athletic. Um, Liam, am I right, first of all, to describe it as a truly dreadful game of football or, or am I slightly uh, over-egging the pudding?
3: No, it was it was pretty bad. <laughs> um, it, it was a kind of classic Chelsea game against the low block. Um, Palace lined up with no true strikers, Defended very deep, very narrow, and as we've seen many times before, Chelsea really struggled to to break that down. And in the end, they made the breakthrough with Ziyech. I thought you know they looked a little bit more dangerous after the, after some of the substitutions with about 15 minutes left. But it was another really laboured attacking performance, kind of capped by the latest episode in the in the Lukaku uh, saga.
2: Yeah, we'll come on to Lukaku um, soon enough. I wanted to talk about the the starting lineup elsewhere first. Dom, I know you were kind of, you were obviously looking at the Crystal Palace angle for this game, but but what do you think and what do you think Patrick Vieira thought when he saw that Chelsea team, which turned out to have, what, Andreas Christensen as a nominal right-wing back and Malang Sarr as a left-wing back and Christian Pulisic in the 10 and it was all a bit weird and random?
1: I suspect that's what he thought was going to happen as in when he saw when he actually saw the lineup but but the way it actually worked out was pretty much from the start a back four with Christensen playing at right back and Sar at left back and Pulisic in this sort of weird midfield central midfield role which I don't think really worked considering how how much damage he's inflicted on Palace from wide in his Chelsea career to date um it seemed a bit of a waste and he seemed he got lost a bit in in the sort of midfield battle over the course of the afternoon. Um, I mean, Liam and I had a conversation halfway through the first half, wondering whether Kai Havertz and Christian Pulisic might swap because Havertz on, on the left seemed a bit wasted as well. He, he had some moments of, of class on oh, my word. I'd forgotten how excited Liam gets whenever he watches Kai Havertz in the flesh <laughs> as well. Um, but, but he did, he, he had a bit more about him, certainly a bit more about him than the car he did up top. But, um, it, yeah it just felt like a a team that had been put together after you know losing a couple of players on in training on the friday and i'm i'm sure they wouldn't have planned to do to play Christensen at right back but then when when gets his knock uh, on the friday um that that's you know that that basically means he has to improvise and actually the moments that palace had the joy that they had was in the first half were largely from balls placed they're bypassing the back line and into the space behind Christiansen because he struggled to deal with Zaha running into that area. So um, it, it was an opportunity for, for Palace to exploit. But, you know, Chelsea stuck at their guns and the way they do. They're rugged and it helps when you've got, you know, two defenders, central defenders in, in Thiago Silva and Antonio Rudiger who are just outstanding in, in aspects of their every aspect of their play, to be honest, at the moment.
2: Liam, how surprised were you to see Malang Saar chosen ahead of Marcos Alonso, and, that, and was that because it was more of a back four than than wing backs?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think um, well, we've seen numerous times in his Chelsea career that Marcos Alonso is a very different player as a fullback than as a wingback, and um, you know, you might you might get the same level of offensive output from him, but it will come at a cost at the other end of the pitch in terms of your your solidity and it, it just felt like you know, Tuchel with that setup prioritized the defense, prioritized guarding against counter attacks, and that was fine. I mean, it, Palace still had a couple of very good chances, but on the whole, Chelsea controlled, controlled the game pretty comprehensively. They just didn't have anywhere near enough to break them down, and, and perhaps with the back four being what it was, that was why he picked Havertz on the left rather than Pulisic because maybe the thinking was that a natural left footer might provide a bit more of the width that you would be losing from an overlapping fullback than Pulisic would provide. I just didn't really get the theory of what Chelsea were trying to do in the final third um, and it obviously didn't match up in terms of the supply lines to Lukaku. You know, seven touches, remarkably low figure, um, and I, you know, Chelsea Twitter made its own judgments. Uh, he's been tried and convicted in the court of public opinion long ago, I think. But um, the the reality was a lot more complicated than that.
2: All right, well, let, let's talk about that a little bit more then, because obviously everybody's seen the stat that's going round. He opted to tweeting Romelu Lukaku had just seven touches against Crystal Palace. If you were in a single Premier League game for a player with 90-plus minutes played, since this data is available in full for the competition, one of those touches was from kickoff in the first half. Quiet. Uh, Liam, obviously, this is the focus of your, of your post-match piece for The Athletic. Kind of general consensus is that the blame should be shared around between Lukaku, between Tuchel, maybe between his teammates too. But what's the way out of this? Because Tuchel, Lukaku and Chelsea are all responsible for finding a solution, aren't they? And the solution is not going to be sell Romelu Lukaku at the end of the season because he's 28 and he cost £100 million. So he he has to be integrated into this team in some form or fashion in in a much more
3: effective way than he has been, doesn't he? That's the way I felt for weeks. And you know I've been of the view for quite a long time that you know the more time that Lukaku gets on the training pitch um, and in matches with maybe a more consistent set of forwards around him that things will improve. But Palace was the first time, particularly after I came home and watched the game back in full from for my piece, that I felt this just doesn't work. This just isn't go. This just doesn't fit, and I'm not sure if it. If it can change, not for the first time, but it was more, you know, it was more emphasized because of the way Palace defended very deep and very narrow. It was just so obvious that Lukaku was trying to do completely different things from the rest of the team. Time and again, Chelsea had the ball and Palace let Chelsea's defenders have the ball, particularly Rudiger. So he was the one kind of making the most decisions in possession and time and again, when Chelsea were working the ball from left to right, Lukaku was trying to call for passes in behind. Now you can argue about how realistic that was against the team defending quite deep but the fact that he was looking for those passes kind of highlighted just the different ways in which Chelsea's number 9 and the rest of the team are wired right now and there were other there were lots of other examples in the game of Chelsea getting the ball in slightly promising positions where there was a window to advance it into Lukaku and maybe isolate him against the defender with a with a, a fast sort of direct pass. And they prioritised keeping possession um, and building things up more slowly. And that's fine. That's a way of playing. But Lukaku obviously wants to play a completely different way and is wired to play a completely different way in terms of what he's done under Conte over the last two years. And so the fact that he ends up with seven touches, I think reflects really badly on everyone involved. It reflects badly on on Lukaku's inability to to kind of adapt his game um, and try and do different things, particularly when, when playing against teams defending the way Palace did. It reflects badly on Chelsea because, you know, what did they think Lukaku would be when they signed him? What did they expect him to be? This was the, the striker that he was at Inter. Um, and part of me thinks that if you had Diego Costa in this Chelsea team, we'd be having a very similar conversation because he thrived under Conte and Mourinho in teams that kind of played fast transitions. And, you know, he got high, he latched onto long balls in behind from Fabregas and things like that. This doesn't happen in this Chelsea team. They're trying to play a very different way and you you need a very different style of number nine for that. It's just an ugly mess um that I think reflects really badly on, on everyone. And I don't I don't actually know how it gets solved now because it won't always look as bad as it did against Palace. There will be teams that you know give Lukaku a bit more space. He will score more goals. Chelsea probably won't pay for it in the Premier League because they look in a pretty strong position in the top four race anyway. But this this team is not going to be maximized this way. And since since Lukaku was dropped for the Liverpool game after that interview he started 10 consecutive games so the argument that this just needs time is a lot harder to make now he's there there has been time and the fact that it was still so disjointed against against palace i i wonder if it looks this bad every day in training <laughs> Are they trying to do different things every in every session? Because um, if it looks this bad on the pitch now, I just don't see how it improves
1: with more time. I take everything that Liam said there; he's, he's spot on. But there are a couple of things. I mean, I mean Liam makes a point in his piece that maybe it's not what you want from a 100 million pound player, but but Lukaku does, does have a role to play in the winning goal he attracts two defenders towards him and allows Ziyech more space at the back post to convert the, the decisive goal in the game um there was a, a moment in that match where where a pass was played forward for Lukaku the type of pass that he relishes um Kovacic's first touch upon his his introduction after 74 minutes slides the ball in between, down a channel um alongside a, a defender, cuts the defender out. Lukaku is liberated as a shot from which Ziyech scores. But Lukaku possibly because he's only had may he may have had all his seven touches by then, I don't know. But but the he's probably a bit anxious. Probably knows. He must know that he's not he's played a pretty peripheral role in the in the match and he's gone slightly too early with the run and therefore offside and the goal gets chalked off by VAR. But that would suggest to me that that Chelsea still can play to his strengths if they want to and if those midfielders look up and and play those balls down the channels the other thing is that maybe Chelsea have two different number 9s now with very different styles one that will suit some circumstances and one which will suit the other and Kai Havertz is probably that other number 9 uh, maybe he will i mean do he recap some of his better moments from last season Maybe he, he could operate in that role and, and Lukaku could come in when when maybe they're up against a defence that isn't quite so compact or isn't quite so narrow. I, I don't know. Maybe 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 a, a squad should have two different types of forwards like that. But the problem with that, of course, is that you spent £100 million on one of them um, and therefore you the fee alone demands that that player, I want to say pulls up some trees, but the one next to me looks as if it might fall <laughs> down at any moment. So... Um, but I mean, you need a well rounded squad, you need different types of options. They probably have got different types of options. One of them isn't firing particularly. You could argue that both of them actually aren't firing, you know, brilliantly at the moment. But better to have options than not. If
3: you want to play this kind of high possession, pin the other team back, control the ball in their half as much as possible, and build up slowly this kind of style of football, then. Yeah, Havertz is much more suited to being the number nine because you need someone who can basically be a false nine and not a false nine as in never touching the ball. A false nine as in dropping short, pulling players out of position, um, acting as basically a number 10 as well as a number nine. Lukaku's never been that guy. You know, it, if, it feels like in order to unlock what he does best, yeah, there might be sort of isolated passes like the one that Kovacic played that can set him free a little bit more. But in order to in order to get the best out of him, Chelsea might actually have to sort of drop 10 and 15 yards, let the other team come out a little bit, then win the ball and try and hit them early. But it just doesn't seem like that's that's completely um incompatible with the way Tuchel has built this team. He's built this team to dominate in the opposition half and to and to control games with possession and limit limit opposition chances to move up the pitch as, as much as possible. So you you are denying, and this is not just the case with Lukaku, it's it's also part of the reason Werner struggled, because he hasn't had that kind of space to run into either. Um, so at some stage, you have to question the sort of grand picture of recruitment here and team building. Why, why do Liverpool sign Diogo Jota and Luis Diaz and they just come in and immediately look brilliant? It's not just because... Yeah, they're obviously talented players, but Chelsea have signed talented players. Players who've looked great in other teams and I'm pretty confident if they left tomorrow would look very good in other teams. It's because Liverpool get the grand picture right in terms of signing players that fit into what they want to do. And they don't ask them to do anything they're not good at. Um, and it, it, feel like, it feels like Chelsea have signed a £100 million striker who's succeeded a certain way for a decade and are now asking him to do something completely different and to be a,
1: a, a different type of player. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you if, you if you're considering his forte to be counter-attacking and Timo Werner's to be counter-attacking and the vast majority of games Chelsea will play in the Premier League won't be counter-attacking performances. They will dominate the ball against virtually all the teams in the division other than the other members of the elite. On the Liverpool thing, I think we should just... This, chill out a bit on that he's had a good start but Minamino was meant to be the world beater and he hasn't hardly he's hardly pulled up any tree. I've done it again it's gonna happen now <laughs> just just for the audience that there's a tree right next to where I'm recording this and it is yeah buckling teetering. slightly teetering yes yes <laughs> um but yeah I mean it's it, that that to me if if, if they've genuinely thought well <laughs> Lukaku's strength is counter-attacking let's bring him in because he'll add a new damage to the game, and when Chelsea just won't be counter-attacking against most teams in the division, that does seem a bit of a bit foolhardy, to be honest.
2: Liam, before we move on from Lukaku, is he kind of thinking, "Well, I'm not getting on with Thomas Tuchel, but this is Chelsea; there'll be another coach along <laughs> shortly, and I'm on a long contract, so I'll probably outlast this guy." Or is there a, a desire on his part, do you think, to to try and fit into what Tuchel's doing? Because he's, you know, we mentioned, and it's at the top of your piece, the, the latest cryptic social media post. Is he being that forceful with his teammates and, and with his bosses about what he wants from the team in a way that you would think that a striker of, of his calibre and his profile would be able to come into a club like Chelsea and say to players, look, this is where I want you to put the ball for me. This is how you're going to get the best out of me.
3: Well look we have we we have no evidence to suggest he's he's hoping to outlast Tuchel. Um and if he is all the signs are that's not a very smart strategy because Tuchel has the club's backing right now. He's in a very strong position after the Champions League win even though they've fallen out of title contention this season all the indications are he will be given at least another summer um to kind of get Chelsea in position to genuinely challenge Manchester City and Liverpool. Um and I also didn't see anything from Lukaku's body language against Palace that suggested he's throwing a strop. You know that I think you get quite a lot of emotion that creeps into the way fans look at these things and it's all coloured by that interview. It all starts from that's the original sin of all of this and, and and everyone's looking at it through that prism forever. But I didn't see Lukaku looking like Brazilian Ronaldo in the 2006 World Cup where he's just standing like a bollard in the middle of the pitch looking, you know, immobile, looking for the ball to feet all the time. He was moving. He was trying to spin into spaces and make runs. It's just not working on a football level. It doesn't seem like a as much of a personality issue as a fundamental football issue, a, a fundamental issue of football fit. Um, and so the question becomes, can Lukaku adapt? Can Chelsea adapt? Can they meet in the middle somewhere? Uh, and I, you know, I've always thought in theory it's possible, but after Palace, I'm just less optimistic than ever that it will actually happen in practice.
2: Uh, let's finish our chat on this game on a positive, not for you, Dom, but for uh, for our listeners at least. Hakim Ziyech scored the winner in the last minute of the game, 3-3 three and three in the Premier League for him now. Is he in the form of his Chelsea career and is he the, the first choice of that front three at the moment?
1: I would say so I it's, it's funny actually because again Lee and I were chatting during the game and, and we were talking about the Palace left back Tariq Mitchell um at one point Liam did put the mockers on him at one stage and he made one of his few mistakes um in the in, in the immediacy of of our, of our conversation but I thought Mitchell was one of Palace's best performers and yet Ziyech was outstanding on the right flank for for Chelsea and he showed he showed Good adaptability. I think he was pretty much playing as a right wing back by the end. In in this after the switch in in formation, following the substitutions, um, he he's got he's he's obviously he's in, he's confident at the moment. He's playing he's playing with a belief again, which is probably stems from regular involvement and this little flurry of goals that he's had, but. I thought, yeah, he 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 was highlighted on on the the highlights programs as well. I thought his delivery was good. Um, he was tenacious. He, he obviously the finish is, is fantastic for the for the winning goal. And yeah, he probably is the, the one member of that Chelsea front line that that currently is playing at at the top of their game. Well, certainly uh, he would argue that the best football he's played for Chelsea. I'm sure he played well well at Ajax previously. But he, he's a menace. He's a menace. And uh, yeah, you'd imagine that he would be, you know, fitness permitting, he would definitely start the, the League Cup final at the weekend because uh, he is the one that's providing all the bite at the moment.
2: A League Cup final to come. Uh, we'll look at the Champions League next. But that result leaves Chelsea third in the Premier League. And they are eight points clear of fifth place West Ham. Uh, with a game in hand. So that's something to look forward to when Chelsea play their next Premier League game, which I think is sometime around the end of May. Uh, Okay, next
0: up, we'll look ahead to the return of the Champions League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear,
2: Uh, Chelsea welcome Lille to Stamford Bridge on Tuesday night. The Blues play the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie against the reigning French champions. Uh, Liam, we're talking before Thomas Tuchel addresses the media, but we're guessing that that Mason Mount and Rhys James will will still be unavailable uh, for this game. But he'll be hoping to have Azpilicueta and maybe Hudson-Odoi back so he can reshuffle that defence and get kind of square pegs in square holes.
3: Yeah, it looks like Tuchel will at least have the option to return to the back three um, and go and go to wing back. So we'll, it'll be interesting on a tactical level to see whether he wants to do that or whether he wants to give this back four a bit more of a run. Um, it is too soon for Mount. I mean, the, the League Cup final is kind of optimistic in terms of his recovery, he, as fast a healer as he is. Um, but the Lille games is, is, is absolutely too soon. Reese James, I just think they don't want to take too many chances with him. He's too important, particularly to the to the creation of this team. You know, e- even with Chelsea struggling a little bit, not looking in quite their f- free-flowing best, you would favour them to get past Lille regardless. They don't have to worry about away goals in this first leg, which is important. So, yeah, I think... Everything points to giving James as much time as possible to get healthy and then letting him get back to the kind of form that he was in in the autumn just before that ankle injury.
2: People have been kind of throwing shade at Chelsea, Dom, in in recent weeks, calling them a, a deluxe cup team. Does that work in their favour? You know that they have got this such a good record under Thomas Tuchel in cup competitions. Does that mean that they're amongst the contenders to to win the Champions League this time? Do you think, or are they are they too far away from that because of the issues at the top end of the pitch that we've been talking about?
1: Well, they won it last year with similar kinds of issues, similar kinds of issues. Um, as as defending champions, of course, they're very much in contention. Um, it would depend upon the the draw, but I think you know on paper this is quite a kind draw to to get through to the quarterfinals. I mean, I think Lille will will pose some problems. They've got a on on paper at least they've got a a talented squad and a, a creative squad, a lot of experience in there as well. Um And it's no mean feat for any team to to pip Paris Saint Germain to the. To the league and title, which as they did last year, okay, they haven't followed that up with form to merit that 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 title defence so much this time around. But they, they will pose a threat. Um But but yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea definitely contenders. I mean, we'd have to see where the draw takes them in the in the next round if they get through this one. But you know that's the <laughs> nature of of cup competitions. But they will they will be they will have the belief, and they've won ver- they've won every competition. They've they've played since since the FA Cup final last season, and they they almost won that. So um, they will they will they will definitely be going into this two-legged tie, pepped in the belief that they and the conviction that they they can retain their title. Yes.
2: Uh, Don mentions Lille won the league last season. They're ninth at the moment. Drew 0-0 at home to Mets on Friday night. They've got a squad which has been put together purely for banter as far as i can That's see it's amazing 38 <laughs> year old jose font 34 year old hatem benar for 36 year old burak yilmaz uh but also the man united lonely angel gomez uh, chelsea former chelsea striker george Ware's son timothy and i note liam renato sanchez last seen at Stamford bridge passing to the carabao sign so a, a shot at redemption for him
3: yeah he's i think he's looked a lot better at Lille. he seems to have very much got his career back on track and to the point where big European clubs are looking at him again. So, um, yeah, he'll be he'll be one of the guys I think that Chelsea will be most concerned about stopping. The other one, of course, that you know, I think Chelsea would have been quite pleased to see leave Lille in January was Sven Botman. Uh, it didn't happen in the end, but that, that that would have been nice for them. He's one of the most highly rated um, centre-backs in, in Europe right now. Uh, and so if there is going to be some sort of upset, you would think that that those players are going to be heavily involved for Lille. But this is a diminished squad to the one that won the league on title last year. Um and, and Chelsea, even struggling as they are in an attacking sense, should have enough to get past them relatively comfortably over two legs.
2: Uh, Don, we normally save our plugs till the end, but it's uh, apropos to do it now because your piece with Joe Cole about his uh, time at Lille is up on The Athletic now. Tell us a bit more about it, please
1: um well it was a sort of recap with joe cuz I, I went over to see him in Lille in the october time of 2011 um when he was a couple of months into his year long loan from liverpool actually um after a very underwhelming first season on merseyside after leaving chelsea and uh you know it was it, it was it was great to sort of get his thoughts on on that year cuz i think it it did at the time, he felt it was sort of rejuvenating in terms of his career, revitalizing it all after a very disappointing season, first season at Anfield. Looking back, it was probably a bit of an Indian summer on his career, even though he was only twenty nine, thirty over the course of that season. I'm not sure he ever really hit the heights again after that, and when he went back, his his existence became slightly more nomadic, um, with with stints at various different clubs and and ending up in in the states with Tampa Bay Rowdies um but he had some great thoughts on on league one who he surprised me by saying that he, he's he's convinced that Ligue one is, is the second best league well in the world effectively i mean higher than la liga and higher than serie a which you know i think might get people debating whether that is the case but he's 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 pointed to the progress that he he witnessed a decade ago and the, the building of new stadium the infrastructure that clubs were putting in place clubs like Lille, he didn't play at Lille's 50,000 seater stadium that was being built that year he played in a stadium that had a capacity of 17,000 as league champions and yet their their training ground which i visited at the time was absolutely amazing it was similar to to cobham in terms of the setup um the stadium is 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 now top notch and a number of other clubs in league had 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 done the same from the biggest clubs in in Lyon to the smallest in Valenciennes, so he just he was talking about the upgrade in the, the standard really, um, and how that's benefited French football domestically um, in the period since. Um, but he had some. I mean, I, I'd forgotten that that year. So this is in the title defence after Lille had won the won the league for the first time in I think fifty seven years or something. Daft, um they had. Eden Hazard, obviously at nineteen twenty, playing out of his skin, winning the French League's Player of the Year every year. Um, Sixteen assists, twenty odd goals that season. They had Dimitri Payet as the other forward in that front three. They had um, Idrissa Garnagay in 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 midfield. They had a young a young Dina playing at left back. Um, they had so much quality in in that in that setup. Um, a really, really good team and and in the last year really before PSG established this strength and dominance in in French football, um, Carlo Ancelotti came in halfway through that season. Um it, that was their opportunity to defend their title um and and to sort of become one of the great teams in, in that club's history. Unfortunately they finished there, they finished slightly off the pace and It was an Olivier Giroud-inspired Montpellier that actually won the title that season, which is remarkable when you you think that PSG had had the backing of Qatar already at that stage.
2: Yeah, really interesting club. They'll be at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday night. We will react to Chelsea versus Lille in the Champions League on Thursday's show.
1: This
0: episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
2: Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, Storm Eunice meant that the Blues' vital PL2 game against Tottenham's under-23s was postponed. Uh, in news relating to that squad, Simon reported on Friday that young defender Bashir Humphreys is close to agreeing a new contract. Uh, the under-18s game against Reading also called off. A reminder, the FA Youth Cup quarterfinal against Blackpool takes place at Stamford Bridge on Thursday of this week. That's the 24th of February. Uh, no game for the women's team. They're on international break. Jess Carter started for England in their goalless draw with Spain on Sunday in the Arnold Clark Cup. Fran Kirby came off the bench in that one. In the same competition, Jessie Fleming, part of the Canada side that beat Germany. She played in the one all draw with England at the Riverside last week in which Millie Bright starred. Uh, Sophie Ingle captain the Wales side that lost on penalties after a goalless draw against Belgium in the semi-final of the Pinnatar Cup on Saturday. Alsu Abdelina played for Russia. They beat the Republic of Ireland in a friendly Guru reitons Norway went down 2-1 to Italy in the Algarve Cup. The women's team back in action on Saturday. They face Leicester in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Uh, Before we go then, Liam, other than your Romelu Lukaku piece, what else is on your agenda for this week, please?
3: So I'm heading down to the Valley on Tuesday night. Um, I've not been there before, actually. That would be quite fun Uh, to watch Mason Burstow the 19-year-old striker that Chelsea signed, the the big-name striker arrival in the January transfer window. Um, I want to get a closer look at him and just, just see what he's like at League One level. And um, and then I'll just be preparing for the Cup final.
2: Nice. You might get to see Juan Castillo as well. He's on loan at, at Charlton as well at the moment. Uh, what about you, Dom? What's on your, your to-do list for this week?
1: Well, hoping to be in attendance at... The Lille game on Tuesday, um, and we are working on a an all history piece uh, on the 2005 League Cup final, Jose Mourinho's first trophy in English football. Uh, a re, um, recap of uh, Liverpool Chelsea ahead of Sunday's rematch.
2: Yeah, really looking forward to that. Thursday's show will be previewing the League Cup final against Liverpool on Sunday. We'll also look back on that game against Lille 2. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from Liam, from Dom and from Lucy. Many thanks for your company today. We'll catch up with you later in the week. Bye for now.
1: The Athletic